Welcome to The Light of the World, and this is Jerry G. Martin. I want you to join me as we bring you a series that our pastors preached called Unstuck. Many believers find themselves stuck in a rut, stuck in sin, or stuck with sickness, disease, relationship issues, financial issues, or in a storm of life. You're going to hear from our lead pastor, Pastor Jackie Martin. You're going to hear from my son, Jared, and my daughter, Jasmine, as they share in this series called Unstuck. If you find yourself now stuck in a place where you can't seem to move forward, today's message is for you. At the end of today's broadcast, we're going to let you know how you can get prayer or you can get connected with God so that you too can be unstuck. Come go with us as we walk in the light of God's Word. I am happy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I came in this weekend for uh, my sister's birthday. Uh, Jessica, who many of you guys know, turned 30. And, and my mom was like, hey, do you want to preach for me? I can never tell my mom no. Uh, unless I'm already double booked. So here we are. And I love being back here with the family. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Martin's uh, one and only son. And uh, I grew up here, grew up in the Humble area for uh, 18 years and immediately left. Uh, went Went to Baton Rouge for a couple years, uh, lived in Dallas for a couple years. Now I live uh, a little bit south of Austin. I work at a tech startup and, uh, and help do college ministry over down there at Texas State University. So if you know any students at Texas State, feel free to, to send them my way. But I wanted to continue uh, this morning speaking about being stuck or better, how to get unstuck. And particularly, I want to talk about the subject of storms. So the title of this message is Unstuck the Storm, if you're a note taker. As I mentioned, I lived in Baton Rouge for, uh, for a couple years. How many of you guys are from Louisiana? Got some Louisiana connections, family. Lord, Lord bless you all, soul. I do not love that place. Uh, but the food is great. So I, I, was, I was there. I had lived there for two years, and I was going back uh, to visit a friend. Uh, he, he flew me in. We were hanging out, and I got in on like a Thursday night, and it, it, it's raining. It rains immediately when I land in New Orleans. It's raining. And, uh, you know, the next day I wake up and I do what anyone wants to do when they finally get a chance to be back in Louisiana. And I'm like, dude, we got to go get some crawfish. We got to go get some, some, some fried catfish, some red beans and rice. There's a place in Baker, Louisiana called Tony Seafood. That is my, my spot. You can get some fried alligator. You know, in Louisiana, they eat everything that moves. If it doesn't slither, then it's dinner. We, uh, I was like, man, we got to go. So we tried to get out of the driveway, but there's just a little bit too much water for us to safely make it out the driveway. So, you know, we're not paying attention to the news. We're just been, we've been hanging out. We're just, we're staying at the house today. And then over time, we realized it's, it continues to rain. It, it's going to continue to rain. And the house that we were staying at, like a lot of houses uh, in the Gulf, it was on stilts. So all the cars were parked uh, in the bottom of the house. And then on the top was like the first floor, which is really the second floor. 
So I finally look at the forecast and I realize it says like heavy rain for the next like 24 hours. So it's me and my friend and we start getting a little bit concerned and he's lived there most of his life. And he's like, dude, there is no way this water will ever hit the foundation of the house. There is no way that it's going to get to the bottom floor uh, of the house where the cars are or even like touch their tires. So I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It said there's going to be a lot of rain. And he's like, there's no way. So we go upstairs, we start hanging out, come outside five hours later or so. And the water is about six inches up to the tires that are parked under the car. So we keep looking at, uh, at the forecast. I'm like, dude, it's going to keep raining. We got to start figuring out something. We're going to have to get out of here. Because what I noticed is that when you have to get rescued, you're on top of the house doing the whole thing with the signs. They don't touch those pictures up. They don't at all. And I'm not photogenic enough to be on CNN just without, without anything. So I was like, we got to figure out a solution. So he's like, okay. So it's me, him, and another guy that lived with him Ty- named Tyrone. We call his dad. His dad's like, well, I got a boat. It's kind of back in the property. And me and Joel, we go and we, we, we are like, all right, we got to get this little like paddle boat. We walk out through the property. We wade through the water. It's like waist high. And this is when I turn to Tyrone. I'm like, yo, Tyrone. And if you haven't noticed, just based on the name, Tyrone is a brother much like myself. And I say, yo, Tyrone, you got to come get the boat with us. Tyrone says, uh-uh. No, Tyrone, this is like a life or death situation. We need your help. Nah, I'm, I'm not coming, Jared. I, was like, I mean, it's not even that, that tall. Then Tyrone tells me, you know, I know it's not that tall, but I can't swim. Tyrone, you, you know they're going to loop us together, my dude. You know, it's like, if, if you can't swim, then it looks bad on the both of us. So come on, Tyrone, like, I need your, your help and your participation. And Tyrone refuses, but we go out, we get the boat, we put it on the second story of the house. And still, kind of foolishly, there's kind of a debate on whether or not we are going to uh, leave that night and just try to wade through waist-deep water, or if we're going to just wait to the morning, hopefully the sun is up, uh, and we can find a way. And we're just kind of betting that it doesn't get too bad over the night. We, we just go to bed, we're not really still, not really watching the news, and we wake up to a noise that's like, <sighs> so I jump out the bed, I look up, it's Joel's next door neighbor getting rescued on the helicopter, he's doing the whole CNN thing, he's holding on, they're grabbing him, and I'm like, all right, Joel, it is time to go, it is time to get out of here, so I run downstairs, I'm like, Joel, it's time to go. We can't stay here any, any longer. Tyrone walks downstairs and he's like, hey guys. I'm like, Tyrone, I do not want to hear a word from you, Tyrone. I was like, Joel, we got to go. And Joel says, it's, it's time to go. I don't want to make this racial or anything, but my dad has always been like, man, you, you always hanging out with those crazy white boys. And I never really understood what he meant until this moment. Because I looked at Joel and I, I said, Joel, it is time to go. We got to leave right now. And he looks at me and he said, yeah, absolutely. Let's pack up. But hold on, because I got to make a cup of coffee right quick. <laughs> what? You got to make yourself some coffee. See, now you're playing with my life. Now, now you're playing with my life. And immediately right there, I realized, see, my dad is, is, is older. I've always been raised by an, by an older guy. He had me when he was 42. And I realized that I was not cut out to do life with these millennials. 
I can't hang with my peers. Immediately, I started figuring out who I could unfriend, and I started, started getting an older friend group. I was like, who here has an AARP card? <laughs> who here is getting $1.99 grand slams at Denny's? Because I need some people with some senior citizens discounts. If, if you're wondering if you're old enough or not to be my friend, I was thinking about this all last night, and I know the perfect test. It's going to sound crazy, but this is 100% true. If you still call a toilet a commode, you old enough. You old enough. You can be my friend. <laughs> you can be my friend. So we actually, uh, finally, we all get in the boat. I was like, yo, if Tyrone falls in, there's nothing we can do for that brother. He's gone. We get in the boat. Someone actually sees us. They, they drag us for a, about a mile with their boat and tow us. And then we have to go through a series of different like stops and starts uh, where the water's too deep and they have something called the Cajun Navy. It sounds exactly like you think it would. It's just a bunch of c country guys with boats. And they eventually get us uh, to safety and we had some other friends in town who weren't flooded who we can stay with. But right there, I realized how significant the storms of life can throw us off balance. Out of nowhere, in the middle of, a, of uh, what should have been a great, fun weekend, I was in the middle of a storm that they said only had a 1 in 10,000 years chance of happening. That's how much God didn't want me to get fried catfish. And sometimes we're going through life and the storms just kind of suddenly come up and knock us off of our horse. So what I want to do today is talk about the purpose for the storm, not just so that you can get out of the storm, but so that you can have a better perspective while you're in it. So we're going to go through three passages today. All of these are actually the exact same uh, event. It's actually important that I say this. So, so when the Bible was constructed, when the New Testament was constructed, the number one focus was not necessarily historical accuracy. The number one focus was revealing the divinity of Jesus to whoever their audience was. Books that were written primarily for Jews always paint Jesus as the Messiah. Books that were painted for Gentiles uh, generally paint Jesus as the, as the king, as a new king of, of the universe, as the coming king. So we're going to read these three passages, all of which you'll notice are very different and are covering the same event, but I think it speaks to the truth that all of us endure storms a different way. If we all talked about this last year and the pandemic, we'd all have different stories, right? Some of you guys would say it was, it was terrible, I was unemployed, I was struggling, maybe it was a story of loss. Some people say, man, it was the greatest time of my life. I no longer have to go into an office anytime. I've been working from home. I'm free. Some of y'all put on some pounds. That's going to be the story of the pandemic. But all of us have a different story of what happens. So we're going to start off right here in John 6, uh, verse 15 through 21. It's a well-known story. And essentially, this story comes right off the bat of the disciples watching Jesus feed the 5,000. So Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and they're leaving. And this is what the writer of John writes. And again, that is John 6, 15 through 21. 
That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. As darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gal swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They rowed three or four miles and suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. If you're writing this down, point number one is that the storm reveals my patience. The storm reveals my patience. You see, the story says that the disciples were there on the shore waiting for Jesus, and then all of a sudden, as it gets late, they're like, look, we still have somewhere to be. How many times in life have you been sitting on the shore of your destiny, sitting on the shore of your vision, sitting on the shore waiting for a healing in a relationship, a healing in your body, and you're waiting on Jesus to show up, but it kind of seems like like the sun is, is setting on your situation. The disciples found themselves in that place, and what they decided to do was, was look, I, we, we have a place that we have to arrive to, so let's just go ahead and leave without Jesus. There's so many people who are so insistent, um, so concerned with arriving that they forget the very person that they're supposed to be traveling with. Like, man, I got to go somewhere. I got somewhere to be. There's something that I need to see right now. So instead, I'm just going to go out and jump out and do it. I'm going to just go out and take what I need because it doesn't seem like Jesus is actually going to show up. The crazy thing is that the disciples were spending all of their time, all of their years, uh, or all of these like years and months following Jesus. Once they got to the other side, what would they have to do? The, the whole point, the whole mission would have been gone. Great, you arrived, but what do you do next? They didn't have the man with them that created the, the mission. They didn't have the man who was the source of the vision. They didn't have the man who was the source of the healing. If anything, the disciples would have gotten to the other side and said, we've arrived, but we still don't have Jesus. And what I would like to propose to you is that you have nowhere to be where Jesus isn't with you. You have, have no place to be where Jesus isn't accompanying you. So the Bible says that they go ahead and they leave without Jesus. And the winds come and everything comes roaring. And then all of a sudden, they see Jesus out in the distance. And the Bible says something so peculiar here. It says that Jesus was walking. So I can only imagine them all sitting there, all frazzled, all distressed, yelling at each other, move here, do this, do this. And then finally they see Jesus off in, the, in their view and he's coming their direction. And they're like, oh, okay, no, 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 Jesus is walking this way. He's coming. He's finally showing up. And they look around and they say, well, what should we do? I guess we'll wait. See, 
you have the opportunity to either wait at the shore and do the journey with Jesus, or you can wait to be delivered from the storm. It's your decision on which one you want to wait for. It's funny that, that Jesus is walking, and, and you'll notice that Jesus never runs anywhere in the Bible. He's never in a rush. He's never in a hurry because I believe that Jesus always knew that no matter where he was, he would have everything that he needed and that God would always show, show up. If I'm three days late to a funeral, it doesn't matter. I can just raise them from the dead. When you think God is going to show up, you walk. You'll notice that's the opposite of what the disciples did. They didn't think God would show up, so they, they rushed ahead in ambition. But when you have faith and trust that God is going to show up, you can walk and be in complete peace. So the storm reveals your patience. The storm reveals your patience. If you turn to Mark 6, 45 through 54, this same passage. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. Well, he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all afraid when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to him at once. Do not be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they crossed the lake, they landed in Gansarap. So the storm reveals my perspective. The storm reveals my perspective. And this particular telling of the story, Jesus actually sends them out. So they were in the right place doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, but still a storm came up. And and I I find it interesting, you know, the disciples, so many of them um, worked on boats, so many of them were fishermen, and it says that when the storm started to come, when the storm showed up, that they decided, okay, we're going to just row our way out of the storm. We're going to work. We know how to get out of storms because we've done this time and time again. So I know, I know exactly what this is like. And what happens is that the disciples actually lean on their own strength to try to get deliverance from the storm. They're like, I've been this before. This is what I know. This is what I've always done. And a lot of times when we get in these situations where we feel like it's a storm, we have a tendency to, to, uh, to fall back on what we know. We have a tendency to fall back on what we've always done instead of trusting God. That's exactly what the disciples did. They were going and going and going. It's like, it's what I've always done. It's like, yeah, that, that's why you're tired. Like you always are. That's why you're, you're struggling. And you're exhausted and you're weary because you're trusting in your own strength and not trusting in Jesus. 
It's, it's crazy to me that they're in this situation and the, what they just left was seeing Jesus do one of the most miraculous things ever. They just leave the feeding of the 5,000 where he feeds people with just a couple of fish and just a few loaves of, of bread. And, and what that goes to show you is that whenever you're in a storm, you don't need to look at yourself, but you actually just need to look at the goodness of God. A lot of times we're in these situations and we feel like, man, I can't remember the last time God was good to me. I need to look back months. But if you're just like the disciples, you don't need to look back months. You just need to look back minutes to see the miracle of where God has been moving uh, in your life. If they had set their eyes on that, that's why this passage ends by saying that their, heart, their hearts were hard. They did not understand the miracle because they did not understand that they served a miraculous God that could deliver them from the situation that they're in. That if he could provide for the 5,000, that he could get them out of the storm. Jesus... The most unusual thing in this passage, it actually says that Jesus intended to pass them by. Which just sounds downright disrespectful. Like, Jesus, help us, help us, help us. He's like, who? It's like when you go to the grocery store and you see somebody, but you don't want to talk to him. He's like, who? I got somewhere to go. And so Jesus intended to pass them by. Now, the, the language here actually points to uh, a passage in Genesis 33. So in Genesis, uh, we have the story of, of, of Moses. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. So he goes up a mountain and God finally says, okay, I'll let you see my glory, but you're going to have to hide yourself within a rock. Hide yourself in between these rocks, and then I'm going to walk by, and then only at the very, very end... Uh, I'll let you open up my eyes. You can see my, my backside because that's the only uh, glory that you can take in, the only glory that you can see. So Jesus is now with his disciples, and they say that he intends to walk past them. He intends to pass them by. But this is what Jesus uh, has done, is that when Jesus hears the cry of man that needs his help, instead of walking past and saying, that's all you can take, he actually turns around and gets inside of the boat with them. That he says that, that my goodness and my divinity has now come to you. That this is something that I love you so much that I was willing to put on human flesh and get into the storm and get into the boat with you. There's an old hymn that says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me, now save am I. You talk about being stuck in sin. That's what we all are until we receive the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is Jerry G. Martin. Thank you again for listening to The Light of the World. You've heard one of our pastors giving you the word of God about getting unstuck no matter where you are. There are some of you who may be listening to us right now 
who feel like you can't move forward. You know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you found yourself in a place and in a space where you can't seem to break free. I want you to know there's freedom for you. You can call us right now on our prayer line number, 281-964-1393. We will pray for you and we will stand with you. We'll give your name to our intercessory team and we'll believe God will do something fresh and great in your life right now. If you would like to listen to today's message again in its entirety, you can get it on our podcast, The Light of the World Daily with Jerry G. Martin. You can listen to previous messages that you've heard on this station as well. Then join us for worship in person on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at 16161 Old Humble Road. Or join us online at lowcf.org. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, May the Lord our God richly bless you, and we'll be with you again next time.